0: In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Respected brothers and sisters and viewers, assalamu alaikum jamiaan wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And welcome once again to our Life, the Islamic Answer series, in which we are trying to study the original or primary traditions and sources of our religion in order to try to extricate the principles of living Islamically in a confusing and difficult world. As you will remember, we were talking about the general theme of intellect and knowledge in Islam. After a quick introduction about the importance of knowledge and intellect in Islam, we spoke about the alternative being unacceptable and the alternative being jahl, or how we what we translated as ignorance and foolishness. And so therefore, we have to head back to knowledge and intellect and see what it means in our religion. And we saw that as complicated or as complex as the topic and broad and deep as the topic may be, we have to start from the two conditions that make knowledge or action or belief Islamic in our religion and those being sincerity and leading to action. So whatever knowledge we look at, and however we want to look at the intellect, it must meet those two conditions to be Islamic. That it is done with sincerity, with the right intent, and that it leads to action. And so therefore, if action is one of the conditions, then we have to ask ourselves, where do we start? For is to acquire the knowledge and to become a learner. And with enough time and with enough knowledge acquired, we eventually become the teacher and we are headed towards, and this is where we're still discussing the attributes of the teacher, and we head towards attempting, trying to establish a community that is Islamic, that meets these criteria, and so we called it a community of knowledge, a community that comes together around notions of knowledge and intellect, as per the teachings of our religion. And once this subheading is completed, insha'Allah, we will head towards discussing the types of knowledge that have been mentioned in our religion, even though with what we have said it becomes clear, or should have become clear, that any type of knowledge, so long as it meets these criteria that we mentioned, is going to be Islamic, we will see that our religion has still nonetheless emphasized and focused on some types that it has mentioned explicitly and so we will go quickly through those types that have been mentioned where our religion says it is important to at least have a overview or a cursory knowledge and understanding of these types of knowledge and inshallah we will get to those. As you will remember after we talked about the learner from all the various aspects of becoming a learner and being a learner based on the teachings of our religion, we started to talk about the teacher. And we said we're not talking about the teacher only because of the importance of choosing a teacher. It's also of the importance that the moment we start acquiring knowledge, to that extent, we are now a knowledgeable person, a alim, or you know how we use the term in English, we are now a scholar, right? A knowledgeable person to the extent that we know certain things. And therefore, when we go through the characteristics, the attributes, and inshallah, the merits, the rights, as well as the duties of the teacher, and we have already started to cover many of them, those are not only things that we look for when we're trying to find the right, appropriate teacher. These are also something that we have to try to emulate and find in ourselves and work towards ourselves. The beginning of the discussion after the introduction that we gave around the topic of the scholar and the teacher in Islam, there were a few, I think, important introductory remarks. Perhaps chief among them was that we have to be very clear what we mean by teacher and who is the ultimate or absolute teacher. The teacher in the absolute sense in our religion can only be an infallible, can only be a divinely appointed guide that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, this is your teacher, this is a guaranteed source of knowledge. As for everyone else, they are, to the extent that they lead back to the teacher, alaykum as rahmatullah, to the extent that they are going to uh, repeat or they are going to lead you to the teachings of the guided people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has appointed, then in those cases... To that extent, we say that this person is now a scholar and a true teacher in that sense. Now, beyond the introductory remarks that we gave about scholars and teachers, we said, therefore, we need to understand what are the duties of the scholar, which are by the same token, what are the traits, what are the characteristics of this scholar and of this teacher that we're talking about? And we divided them in a few categories. But the two big headings were, the uh, or the three big headings, were the importance of being rigorous and deep and uh, you know, accurate in our understanding of knowledge itself. You want the teacher to be someone who is masterful in the field in terms of the quality, quantity, rigor of the knowledge that they carry. And we said that's the easy trait. The main trait, and this is where we spent most of the time, is going to be the category of traits that we refer to as the spiritual traits of the teacher. And we said the core of the argument there is that this person is not just affecting you by imparting information. It's not just that you're receiving data from this person. Whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, this person is actually affecting you much deep, much more deeply than just the information that you are receiving. And this is the case for everything in life. You listen to someone, you read their books, you watch movies, all of that is information that you are allowing to enter your mind, enter your heart, and affect and mold the person that you are. And so when you, in addition to the general attitude of being open to information, being open to data, that you are receiving, when you are officially recognizing someone as a source of knowledge for yourself, then of course this person is going to affect you much more than just the normal way of being influenced. And so we went through a whole series of traits, and inshallah we don't need to repeat them. We said, for instance, we saw the uh, insistence in the traditions on having people that are God fearing, that have a, lot, a high level of piety that do not seem to be overly attached or obsessed to the worldliness or this world, that uh, they are people who give a high level of priority to the afterlife, and people who understand the burden that comes with knowledge. There's a burden or responsibility or a duty that the moment you start carrying the knowledge, you have to act in a different way yourself and not just for yourself because of the impact and the burden that it carries for yourself, but that now you are recognized as someone who carries knowledge. You represent something much more than yourself by carrying this knowledge. And so we're looking, when we say scholar, when we say teacher, we're looking for these traits, someone who matches these spiritual categories or headings of characteristics that we described. Then we started talking about additional traits, additional characteristics, We simply refer to them as moral traits. They do have to do with the personality, the demeanor, the attitude, the general outlook in life, but they are perhaps less impactful or less present in the spiritual dimension. And some of these, and we started talking about them, and we are still in that category we said that beyond the knowledge, for instance, beyond the fear of God, beyond the detachment from this world, prioritization of the afterlife, it's basically how do you carry yourself in this world. So for instance, we said that a high level of knowledge has to, be, has to go hand in hand with, has to be associated with a certain level of dignity, a certain level of having good judgment and wisdom. And of course, the more the knowledge, the more you expect to be able to see, to recognize this level of knowledge and wisdom. We said there's nobility of character. We said that there cannot be um, what we would refer to as arrogance or this air of being superior and that everyone else is now below you because of the knowledge that you carry, and that you have high expectations of the level of respect and the level of treatment that you're going to get, and so on and so forth, and that you're too good to impart this knowledge, right? All of that goes together, and we talked about it, and we're going to come back to it, inshallah, today. And I think we spent enough time on these characters. I think I I refer to them at some point as being a tyrannical, uh, uh, knowledgeable scholar, but who is tyrannical who treats people in a very condescending way, and this it becomes repulsive for people, pushes people away from religion, not because even though you may be the most knowledgeable person, the manner in which you interact with people and how they associate you with religion, and now religion is this repulsive uh, attitude, then people will slowly start to turn away from religion, and you will lose the opportunity to influence and to impart that knowledge because people, no one is interested in being treated In that manner. Another group of traits that we saw a lot of traditions around and inshallah we're going to continue with that today to a certain extent. It's that whole notion of the level of patience, the level of compassion, the level of mercy that you show to others. The more your knowledge grows, the more you're supposed to show these traits. And we said that in many of the ahadith, maybe in a couple today we're going to see it again. The term used in Arabic does not translate very well. In English, the term is Hilm. You have to have a very high level of Hilm. And Hilm, we said, can be translated as patience. But it, it's not just patience. It's, the reason for that patience is compassion. It's not that you're just someone who has patience. It's you have patience out of mercy. You have patience out of compassion, out of empathy or sympathy towards others. In addition to that, depending on how the term is used, Hilm can translate very well into wisdom. So you act in the most appropriate way given the circumstances that you're in. You're careful, you're deliberate, you're intentional, you're thoughtful. All of that falls under Hilm. And so in a lot of ways, and we're going to see that today, it falls under the last heading that we talked about before stopping for the holy month of Ramadan. and That was the importance of silence. And so the idea is not about silence. the, The idea from being someone who carries true knowledge, and the more knowledge you carry, the more this is supposed to show, is that you know when to talk and when not to talk. And when you do talk, you know how to talk. And who to talk to. How to present the information. You can read the situation. You can read the context. You know your audience. You know the subject matter. You know what your limits are and how to present it and how not to present it. Not everything that is known needs to be said. And not... Everything that is known needs to be said to everyone. And this is a very, very big problem. That there are people who, the moment they have a piece of information they, and they have the forum, they have a mic, they have a pulpit, they, they think that now everyone needs to know this piece of information that I have. No, not necessarily. It has to be the right context, it has to be for the right reason, that it is shared, that it's going to lead to something beneficial, that the good that comes out of this is going to be greater than the harm, and so on and so forth. That's the whole ethical or moral dimension that has to be looked at, that has to be taken into consideration before you start talking about something, whatever it may be. And so someone who has a higher level of knowledge is supposed to also have a higher level of hilm. So in this sense, it would be wisdom with the specific application of knowing when to talk and when not to talk. And that's why we, for those who were in attendance, you will remember, We ended almost the entire last lecture, even though we've talked about this topic before, that last lecture was very focused on the idea or the notion of silence and the importance of silence, how far it goes in our religion. And we said that it's not limited to Islam. You go back in history, these schools of thought, philosophies that looked at the human being as a whole, they gave a huge importance to the notion of silence because they linked it to discipline. They said that you cannot show, you cannot demonstrate being someone who is disciplined without first at least mastering your tongue, mastering your speech, knowing when to talk, when not to talk, even though you're dying to say something. You have to be in control of every word that you say, regardless of the emotions that you're feeling, regardless of how much you feel like saying something. You have to take all of that into consideration before you open your mouth. And feel truly responsible for every word you're about to say. And I think we talked about the Pythagoreans uh, the last time that we met and the importance that they gave to this whole notion of, of silence. And when we went to the ahadith, we saw that Ah al-Bayt also emphasizes. That said, we're not saying because when you read the, some of the ahadith, they give you the impression that they're just saying, be silent all the time, never open your mouth, never talk. We said no. Clearly, silence is a step on a journey. You have to master it to show that you are someone who has the discipline to keep moving there. But it is much better to be able to talk so long as you can guarantee that what you're saying is better than not saying anything. And so there is knowledge itself that is required so that when you talk you're saying the right thing. And we saw how Ahlul Bayt alayhi salam, Imam Ali alayhi salam, Imam sadiq Imam al they say the point is not just not to talk because that's not really called Silence, Imam Ali would say. Silence means it's a quality, and you can only say it about someone who has the ability to say the right thing, and they choose not to because of the context. This is not the time to talk. This is not the time to act. Right? Because of their level of wisdom. Not because they lack the knowledge. They have the knowledge. If you lack the knowledge, you should, it does not even matter whether you open your mouth or not. By default, you should say nothing because you don't know. You're not sure. Go to someone who is sure. Okay, so the idea is not just not to talk. It's to have the knowledge to talk when it is required and also be knowledgeable and wise enough to know when it is time not to talk. Okay, and I think we covered the topic more or less. There were a few hadith left to really finish this topic off before we move to the next uh, subtopic, inshallah. So this is what we're finishing today. So we're still in the moral traits And there's a couple more that we had started to talk about, inshallah, we'll try to finish it today as well. Arrogance and envy or jealousy. And we said these traits, the reason why perhaps there is a bit more insistence on them than others. It's because once you have a certain type of power, and knowledge is certainly a type of power, then the human nature is going to lead towards acting in a certain way. When you have money, you act in a certain way. When you have a position of authority, you're going to act in a certain way. If you don't, it's because there is something moral, or sometimes social, or sometimes legal, holding you back. Ideally, it's moral. It's from within. Especially in the religious realm. We're talking about your soul. We're talking about your spirit, your heart. What is holding you back? So religion is going to insist on the teachings that are going to keep you in check as your level of power is actually increasing because you are gaining more and more knowledge, more and more social power. You can influence people more. You can use that for a lot more purposes than someone who doesn't have it. So now that you have it, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to use it? This is where religion comes to put these constraints and say, well, the higher up you go in this level of power, the less arrogance you're supposed to show. And the more humility you're supposed to demonstrate. The more lowliness you're supposed to demonstrate, modesty. So, inshallah, we go back to the topic of silence now. Inshallah, we try to wrap it up as quickly as we can to continue with the rest of the moral traits. First hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, to continue with the topic of silence, he says, Rubba jawabuhu There may be speech whose answer in other words, whose appropriate answer, whose answer is silence. Not every speech needs to be responded to with other speech. Some speech needs to be responded to, answered with, silence. And there's a lot of reasons for this, and we're gonna see a couple of them in the hadith. We already touched on a few of them in the the last time that we met. Okay, so that's the first hadith. And inshallah, I'm not going to spend too much time so that we can try to finish. Otherwise, there's a lot to say here. The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, There is silence that is even more eloquent than answering with speech. Silence is more eloquent than the speech. Usually speech can only be, or eloquence can only be attributed to The words that you're using. Which words do you choose? And how do you put them together? And how do you present them? This is what we can assess. Once you do that, we can assess the level of eloquence in your speech. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, silence, there are times when silence is a lot more eloquent than any words that you can say. So clearly in those cases, Imam Ali alayhi salam is saying, it's much more wise to remain silent. Okay? And by the way, I'm just going to make a little remark here. So silence is not just about speech. It's also about action. Okay? This is the the extended meaning of speech here, is action. That there are times to act and there are times to choose not to act. When it's intentional and deliberate and resulting out of wisdom, this is an act. Not to act is itself an act. It's a choice that you're making. It's not just a, in reaction or being passive and being random and blind to what's going on. No, you're choosing here that the wiser thing to do is not to act or is not to say anything. Next hadith. From Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, <laughs> There is this uh, narration that we have where Imam Ali alayhi salam is talking to Imam al-Hasan and in a lot of these, if you go back to the biography of Imam al-Hasan, you'd see that Imam Ali alayhi salam would sometimes talk and we have similar stories about all of the imams with their sons, the son who will become the imam before he is known that this is the imam because the imam may have many sons. And so people will, would not necessarily be sure which one of them is going to become the imam. And so there are these circumstances in which the imams are going to explicitly and in front of people in very public settings, they will ask especially when the imams are at a much younger age, they will ask things that you would not expect just a random person to be able to answer and answer in this eloquent, fulsome way in a couple of words, which is, by the way, something recognized. Anyone who spends enough time studying our religion, studying philosophy, wisdom, this is something that is very clearly attributed to Ahl al-Bayt, alayhi salam It's distinctive in them. they Utina, as they say, al Kelim, they are able to say so much and so little. This is not something that is given to any random person. To be able to take a, you know an encyclopedia of information and bring it down to a few words. So if you are able to do that, the richness of the notions that you have put into a few words this is going to mean that the person who receives this information can benefit from it at their own level. When you go explicitly detailing every aspect, and sometimes they have to do that and they do that, then you are limited to the information that is being presented because all of it is being listed. But when you roll it all up into the more abstract notions, then the person who doesn't have the very deep knowledge will understand at their level what you just said and the person with the deeper knowledge is going to be able to see what else was contained in this meaning right and so in this case imam ali alayhi salam, he asks imam al-hassan he tells him ya bunay mal aql only that you know he tells him what is intellect to imam al-hassan alayhi salam, my son what is intellect qala hifdh qalbika mastawda'tahu that your heart preserves what you have entrusted it. This is intellect, okay? We're not going to comment on that. That's not our topic. Then the Imam continues and he says, jahl." Then what is jahl? The, the Imam, Imam al-Hassan salam said, al qabla He's going to give three meanings. Three things to say to answer this question, what is jahl? What is ignorance and foolishness? The first answer Imam Al Hassan gives is that he says to quickly leap upon an opportunity before being fully in control of it. So, this is what we just said silence is not just about not saying words, sometimes it's also not acting. Here, the Imam says, There's an opportunity. Okay, so you are able to recognize that there's an opportunity. And if there's an opportunity, you're supposed to seize it. You're supposed to do something because there's an opportunity. Well, here Imam Al-Hassan says foolishness, ignorance would be to leap too quickly on this opportunity before you know what you're doing. Because you're before you're fully in control of the situation. You're probably gonna harm yourself, lose the opportunity, miss out on things become a danger to others, whatever it may be. It's not just that the opportunity is there. It's are you the right person and you have the right skill set to be able to move towards that opportunity at this time and do something about it. Okay, so the imam here says, quickly leaping upon the opportunity before being in control of it. That's one. Two. وَالْإِمْتِنَاعُ عَنِ الْجَوَابِ So the opposite of what we're talking about to refuse to give the answer. Because there are times when you're supposed to give the answer, to talk. If you are able, you have the answer, and this is the time to give that answer, and you choose not to, then that's ignorance. That's two. And the third, the third, the Imam is going to elaborate. He comes back to this notion of silence. He says, When fi kathira." And the best of assistants in so many situations, the Imam says, is going to be silence. Your best assistant, your best supporter, your best ally in so many situations is going to be your silence. Even though, the Imam says, you may be eloquent. It's not about having the ability to talk, it's is this context, is this situation something that requires you to talk? or not okay. so that's a first uh, another hadith from Imam Ali السلام, the next hadith he says الحسين, السلام, this is in Tuhaf al uqul I've talked multiple times about this book al harwani he wrote he compiled this book called Tuhaf al uqul it's translated by the way and so it's organized by sayings from each one of Ahlulbayt salam. in there you have and it is in other sources too. But in there, there is this wasiyah. We have a number of wasaya attributed to Imam Ali alayhi salam that are more well-known. One of them being the wasiyah to Imam al hassan or perhaps questionable whether it's Imam al hassan or uh, Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiyyah. There is a wasiyah specifically for Muhammad ibn al-Hanafiyyah. And then there are wasaya to Imam al-Husayn alayhi salam. So this is in his wasiyah. It's much longer text. We're just taking a little part. So he is giving his wasiyya. he's living a piece of advice to Imam al alayhis-salam in which he says, Bekin Bekin Lealimin. I'm gonna explain it. "Amila Fajad. That's the beginning. So Bekh, or in Arabic, they might repeat it. That's the same the, the same word, they say Bekin بخ. So two times they say Bach. Bach means bravo. Hat off to you. Congratulations. Okay? So Imam Ali salam, says, congratulations to the scholar. You know, they've made it. They've earned respect. Why? amila fajad, A scholar who has acted with hard work and seriousness. And who was fearful of the sudden event, the surprising event. And so he readied himself and prepared himself. So this is a term used in the Quran too. يَأْتِيهُمْ Bayat بيات is like when you do a مبيت, for instance. You stay the night. Okay, that's how we understand it. So what's when the Quran says يَأْتِيهُمْ بياتن. It's what? So our punishment, the hardship from our side, Allah ta'ala says we're going to punish them. There are people that we're going to punish so this punishment may come in different circumstances. One of them is it takes them by surprise in the middle of the night. Okay, that's what bayat means. It takes you by surprise suddenly. You're not expecting it. You're not ready for it. So Imam Ali salam is describing this good scholar about whom he says, bravo to this scholar who acted in this way. So he did what? So he worked hard, seriously. And then, wa al-bayat. This is someone who is fearful of this sudden Surprising event, so death before life is up. You never know when it's going to be. Okay, so this scholar, because of their knowledge, they prepared appropriately. Waqaf fa'adda He readied himself and prepared himself. No matter when it comes, he's ready. And then, in su'ila nasah. If he is asked, he advises. He gives counsel and advice. Wa in turika And if he's left alone, he remains silent. So that's already a an indication of the moral traits, right? When he talks, his speech is either you say it's accurate or it's truth, it's correct. min Ayin Jawab, and his silence, and this is the key that we ended with last time, and so I'm, I'm making a point to repeat it here. Min His silence, not out of incompetence. It's not because he doesn't know that he remains silent. He knows. He can if he wanted to, he has the information, he has the knowledge, okay? So it's not an excuse for us to say, I don't really need to know more, because it's better to remain silent, remain out of the spotlight, not be too reactive, not to act too much. No, it's the opposite. All of the ahadith that we saw, including this one, are telling us you have to be ready to talk when you're supposed to and to act when you're supposed to and choose not to when it is more appropriate to do so. But you can only do that if you have the knowledge and you have the skill set and you have the tools and you have an ability to read the situation that allows you to say, Here I talk. Here I don't. Here I act. Here I don't. Okay? And so the Imam says, and his silence, not out of incompetence, is an answer. Okay? The silence itself is an answer. If you have this type of person where you trust their level of knowledge, you trust their level of judgment, you know that when they talk, they say truth, as Imam Ali says. They are accurate in what they say. They are correct in what they say. And yet you see this person is remaining silent in a situation, not acting in a situation. This is supposed to be an indication that this is an answer. You have to think about what is this answer to? Why is this person remaining silent here? Why are they not saying anything? Okay. And so for sure this is going to apply in an absolute sense to the infallible. When you have an imam and he decides to remain silent... When you want him to speak up, when you want him to act, he decides not to, or he acts in a way that is different from what you want the Imam to do, the right thing to do is to go back to these principles and say, well, this is someone who has the knowledge, who has the ability to talk, has the ability to act, they're choosing not to. That is an answer. The not talking is his answer. The not acting is his answer. Why? So I have to think about that. I have to reflect on that and study it. This is not, unfortunately, what always happened with the imams, where you have people who are supposed to be close companions of imams and who would be extremely critical and harsh and disrespectful of the imams because the imams did not act in the way that they wanted them to act. They didn't understand this. These are supposed to be fundamental, easy notions, basic notions. And so, to a lesser extent, this applies to everyone we know in our lives too. Not saying, not acting can be an answer itself. To the extent that the person is, and we all have failings and shortcomings and mistakes, sometimes you're supposed to, you decide not to, lack of judgment, you mistakenly read the situation, that will happen to all of us. In the case of the infallible, it will not. For everyone else, it may happen. But in a lot of cases, if this is truly a person who has the knowledge, has the wisdom, should be able to read the situation, does it have any defects in their personality, then their silence should be taken as an answer. Their lack of action should be taken as an answer here. We continue now with wisdom and judgment. We said this is related to wisdom and judgment. So back to this notion of Hilm, Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says lan yuthmir al ilm hatta al-hilm. Knowledge does not become fruitful it's like a tree that's supposed to bear fruits Imam Ali al-Salam says this tree of knowledge will not bear fruits unless it is linked with hatta al this compassionate patience or wisdom Knowledge alone is not enough you have to know how to act what to do with that knowledge, how to use that knowledge. And here, we can interpret it in two ways. Yuthmir, the the fruitfulness of the knowledge, can be something that you're attributing to yourself. So now you carry knowledge. The knowledge that you carry is supposed to bear fruits for you. It's supposed to have fruits for you. You have to feel that yourself. It's making you grow, become better, act in a different way, see the world differently, so on and so forth. That's a fruit for you. But it's also a fruit that others are supposed to benefit from. Knowledge is fruitful in that way and we read the hadith too. And so when the imam says that without hilm, without this compassionate patience or without this wisdom, then all the knowledge of the world is not going to bear the fruit. So this can apply to you, for yourself, and it can apply also apply to those you're trying to influence or you're trying to share the knowledge with. You can have all the knowledge in the world. If that trait is missing, if hilm is missing, wisdom and compassionate patience, if that's missing, it's not going to bear fruit. It's not going to help you and it's not going to help others. Next hadith. And so here, I consider this to be one specific example of this wisdom. Okay, applied. We're applying it. So it has to do with sharing with others and it has to do with silence. Imam Ali alayhi salam من وصيته إلى ولده الحسن So in the letter of advice of Imam Ali alayhi salam to Imam al-Hasan, he says, وَمِن صِفَةِ الْعَالِمِ And it's a long letter. Okay, inshallah, one day we can go through it in its entirety. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, وَمِن صِفَةِ الْعَالِمِ أَنْ لَا يَعِظَ إِلَّا مَنْ يَقْبَلُ عِظَتَهِ and one of the traits of the scholar the true scholar is that they will not give advice except to the one who will accept this advice who may accept let's say it in the logical sense logically potentially this is someone who may accept this advice okay this is very very key and it requires a very lengthy discussion because it touches on a lot of things a lot of teachings a lot of aspects In any case, وَلَا يَنصَحُ مُعْجَبًا برأيه. And he does not, one of the traits of the scholar, is that he's not going to give advice to someone who is entirely or completely impressed with their own opinion. Someone who is so blinded by their own opinion that you know they are never going to be open to any piece of advice or any other perspective, for instance. وَلَا يُخْبِرُ بِمَا يَخَافُ إِذَا And he does not share that which he fears divulging. If you think that this is something that is risky to divulge, or that if it is divulged to the wrong people in the wrong setting, it causes more harm than good, more questions than answers, then you shouldn't be divulging it in the first place unless you are 100% sure that this is the right way to divulge to the right people at the right time. This is the responsibility of understanding speech. Understanding that when you share knowledge, how do you share it? Who do you share it with? What's the best way? What do you share and what do you hold back? Do you dump everything on everyone all at the same time? So, here there's a lot of links to a lot of topics. The first one, and we have, this is a, a, a theme, by the way. We, there's a lot of hadith that have to do with this. We're going to come back to it a little bit later in the series. I, I put it under community and this subheading on community of knowledge on how do you preach, how do you share knowledge to others. And this is something that becomes important in the way that the knowledge is shared. And that becomes very important. Inshallah, we're going to come back to that. So the link with silence. Here the imam is very clear that not everything that is known needs to be shared. Sometimes it's better to keep it back. Here the imam is clearly saying, you have to choose, you have to be very selective. Who do you share it with? Right? The imam says, You don't preach, you don't give advice to someone from whom you have 0% expectation that they will accept what you're saying. They are 100% convinced of what they are saying. In those cases, don't bother, the imam says. Okay, so that's first. The second point. We might ask, why? Why would you not try to share what you have? Should we not always try to be sharing the truth? Yes, that's a general rule. But in certain cases, you have to be very clear. You have to think about, what am I about to say? What am I about to do? Does this benefit religion? Or could it potentially lead to degrading religion more? Does it benefit others in this religion? Does it benefit the truth? Or might it degrade the truth? Might it degrade myself? In a way that does not lead to any benefit. No benefit is expected out of this. In those cases, you have to think perhaps how this is going to backfire is a lot worse than the potential benefit I, not personally I, but from my actions will derive out of it. The backfiring reaction is much worse. Maybe it's not worth it. In a lot of cases, it's not just that. I said, for instance, it could be degrading. It could be disrespectful. It could be a complete waste of time, money, energy. You should be probably putting that energy somewhere else where you're going to reap a much greater benefit. If you have that time and that energy, put it somewhere that is going to lead to potentially greater benefit than here. For instance, the next point is not to understand from these ahadith, and as I said, there are numerous ones, I'm not going through all of them now, not to understand from them simply not to talk. It's that you have to prepare the ground for what you're about to say. Sometimes, those who are about to hear you say something, they're missing key pieces of context or information. If they had those, they're going to receive your message in a very different way. Sometimes, it's not about the information. It's about if you were to deliver the message in a different way, they will receive it much more openly. It's not just about the information. If I deliver the message X in a certain way, I know that people are going to react very strongly. There's 0% chance they will accept what I'm going to say. The same person, same message, but delivered in a different way. And if I deliver it in a different way, the same people might be a lot more open to what I'm saying. So suddenly, the same hadith is not necessarily telling us, don't bother. There's going to be a lot of situations where Don't bother in this way. In this way, it's going to be a waste of time, a waste of energy, might be degrading, might be dangerous for you. For others, causes more harm than good. Do the groundwork first. Study the situation. See what's the best way to deliver the message. And what is the message I'm delivering here? Okay, so that's one piece. The other piece is that sometimes you have to do a lot more groundwork. It's not just about me having a message now that I want to deliver. Sometimes I know that for this type of message, I need to establish things first. For instance, I may need to establish myself as an authority in the field first. I need to do a lot more groundwork. This is human nature. It's normal. There are sociological dimensions, cultural dimensions to this. You can't just jump into this. This is a message that's going to require a strategy of three months, six months, two years of work. And then there is more. Sometimes it's not about the person, it's about their capacity. Not everybody has the same capacity. You can't dump any piece of information that you have accepted. You can't expect everyone else to accept this, even though if in your mind this is the truth, and they should just accept the truth. That's not how it works. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the whole Quran says, He wants people to use their reason and their logic. Things have to make sense to them. If you've accepted it, it's because somewhere this is coherent with everything else that is part of your worldview. To them, if they reject it, it's because it's no, not coherent. There's something that is incoherent in what you're saying. So they reject it. If you're able to identify that and work on it, logically, great. And still this is not going to be a guarantee. People will still be at very different levels. There's a reason why, for instance, you and I can study math and try to move up in math, and you reach a certain point, and one person is going to continue and do a BA and a master's and a PhD in math. At that level, I assure you, math is something very, very abstract. You have to have a very high level of visualization, of abstract thought to work mathematics at that level. Not everybody can do it. You can't just grab someone from off the street and start sharing those notions with them. They won't know what you're talking about. The same thing about physics. same thing about philosophy. And you feel that in any field if you go really in-depth. Fields that require a much higher level of abstraction, abstract thought. Very nuanced logic. Very detailed arguments. To write the argument you need you know, 92 pages. Go read Immanuel Kant's Critique of Pure Reason. You require intellectual rigor and patience not to come up with his theory and to refute his theory, just to follow along his logic to see what he tried to say before you start reacting to it. Okay, so to specialize in this field, we're not saying it's impossible. We're saying this is not going to be given to every person. And if it were, let me simplify the argument and say this is possible for everyone to, to achieve. No problem, which is not the case. But if we were to say it is, then certainly this is after years and years and years of practice and study and reflection and practice, right? That you are in it, working with it, that you acquire this level of masterful ability intellectually. When it comes to material things, everybody understands this. But when it comes to abstract things, sometimes we reject that, especially in religion. Religion is no different. There are so many notions, so many ideas in religion that are no less abstract and no less nuanced than this. You can't just expect to take that idea and dump it on someone and expect them to accept it. You have accepted it, that's good for you. It doesn't mean that everybody else has to accept the same idea. In a lot of cases, to accept that idea, if you want to be very rigorous methodological, scientific, as they say, about this so that it actually makes sense in a logical, coherent way, you actually need years of introductory arguments in place for this to work, for this notion to make sense. It's not that the notion is wrong. It's that it's very subtle, very different from what you know as a human being and the way you live. You can't take that notion as just dump it in mass, you know, public gatherings and say all of you, you must believe in this and this is how it is. And anyone who rejects this is now a disbeliever. Your faith is lacking. Did you do the work? To get here, you need three years of aqaid to get to this notion. You were lucky, you studied it for five years. Now you want to take the conclusion of your five years of work and you dump it on people without all those introductions. And you say, anyone who doesn't believe in this, they're wrong. That's not how it works. You have to do all of that groundwork. When you go to, to take a bad example, people who who play chess, grandmasters in chess. If someone is starting to play chess, first you need to learn the game. Then you learn to think maybe... The immediate move, and then one move ahead. Before the person does what they're about to do, you have to think, if I do this, they might do that. That's one move ahead. So maybe I shouldn't do this, I should do that instead. By the time you reach the level of grandmasters, they know for a fact, now this is not necessarily a calculation that they're making, because you've done it so much that it becomes much more intuitive, just like everything else in life. But they're actually thinking 15 to 20 moves ahead. Can you expect to just dump that on someone? No. Whether you say that they have a much, level, much higher level of IQ, of reasoning and intelligence, or put all of that aside, and you say this is someone who has a much higher level of practice, and mastery that they've acquired over years of knowledge and practice, regardless of, the conclusion is the same. This is not something that you can just dump on someone. This is something that requires all of the introductory steps to be put in place first before you get there. Religion is no different. And so when the imam says that the knowledgeable person, the scholar, is also someone who knows who to give advice to and when to hold back, and that if someone is too impressed with their opinion, perhaps they shouldn't be too bothered with what you're about to share with them. In a lot of ways, yes, sometimes it's about the people and their attitudes, but in a lot of cases, it's about how are you gonna present the information, and have you done the groundwork so that this information is going to be accepted. If not, go work on the groundwork. Go prepare the ground so that this person accepts what you're about to say. There's here a a couple of biblical references. I'll mention this one very quickly because I think it's well known. The Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, In 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 it, it's well known, I'm not going to go through it, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, alayhis salam. if you go back to the New Testament in Matthew 7, from 1 to 6, verses 1 to 6 under 7. The Sermon on the Mount, it continues, but this is the part that is relevant, and it's really 6, verse 6, so that we don't go through the whole thing, maybe next time, because it's almost, uh, we have about 7 minutes, 6 minutes before prayer. In Matthew, he says, do not give what is holy to the dogs. This is Prophet Isa I'm talking. And if you go back to our traditions, our narrations, we have very similar narrations. Inshallah, we'll come back to them later in the series. Do not give what is holy to the dogs. And do not toss or do not throw your pearls before swine. If you have pearls, don't give them to pigs. Okay, you have holy things, don't throw them to the dogs. You have pearls, gems, treasures, don't throw them to the pigs. Or they will trample them under their feet. We're talking about knowledge. Imam Ali, salam, was, what was he saying? Don't give that knowledge to those where you are sure that this person is not going to accept it. Why? Here we have one of the answers. Isa salam, says, or they will trample them under their feet. That's one possible reaction and turn and rend you, attack you, tear you to pieces, depending on which version. So either they give absolutely no value and significance to what you have shared with them, and so you have perhaps degraded yourself, degraded this knowledge that you are sharing, taken something holy, valuable, precious, and now it has become completely worthless, They trample them under their feet. Or even worse, for that, they will now attack you. And worse than that is sometimes they will use what you have given them to attack you. Because you didn't choose wisely. There are, and we have this in the Holy Bible, we have this in many other narrations. And as we said, the lesson from this is not necessarily don't share the truth We're saying, do the groundwork to see if there is truth to be shared. There's a whole discussion here. If you go back to Christian commentators about the Sermon on the Mount, they say, I like this metaphor that they use, they say one of the issues here is that you're supposed to be a shepherd. Once you know and you have a truth and you can share, you're supposed to be a shepherd. But you can't really shepherd dogs. And you can't really shepherd pigs and swine. Sheep are meant to be shepherded. So there's work to be done here. This is not the nature of this person. That you act in this way and you throw pearls at them and you think that they're going to appreciate the pearls. Or that you're just going to, you know, as he said, throw what is holy to the dogs. And what do you expect them to recognize that this is something holy that you've thrown their way? No. There's work to be done. Okay, so inshallah we'll continue with this. There's a lot more to say here, and I know these are rich notions and they require a lot more discussion. So I'm gonna stop here. Inshallah, maybe we take it again from this hadith. Inshallah, the next time that we meet. Wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala Alihi al